Hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. This is part 21 of the reading, and we're continuing chapter 9. And if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner to help support the podcast, or you can check out the Mariner podcast with all things sailing and seamanship each week, or of course, the Mariner YouTube channel, where you can see gear reviews, how-to videos, and me engaged in expeditions and projects all over the world. Now on with the story. Chapter 9 continued. At 1100 hours on the 3rd, I donned my harness to go and raise the topsail, only to find that Gypsy Moth was on the wind and no topsail could be used. I could not see anything wrong with the weather to account for the wind's odd behaviour. It seemed that a tiny secondary with wide-open isobars giving near-calm winds had passed through on a northeasterly track, the barometer was high and had scarcely moved. I had only recorded it twice in the past 24 hours, 1,023 millibars at 1,300 hours and 1,022 millibars at 18.25 on the 2nd of May, and the next reading given was not until 2,000 hours on the 3rd. Monday, the 3rd of May, noon. Run only 91 miles for 124.5 sailed. Position 40 degrees 51 north, 23 degrees 21 west. Distance to Plymouth Hoe, 994 miles. At 17.33, a dull, dreary grey sea, grey sky and grey light with drizzly fog cutting visibility to about half a mile. I spent two hours on deck, clearing up after last night. This included freeing the mizzen topping lift, which was wound around the backstay insulator at the top. The wind is veering once more, and I could do with a pulled-out sail again, but not today, thank you. I am grateful I am not racing and can take it easy if I want to. I am now looking forward to lunch. I am keenly hungry for once and have some sweet potatoes on the boil. I wish I had something appetising like Peter's red mullet to go with them. My remaining tin fish is dreary, though I may have one tin of Benito left which is the best. However, the sweet potatoes fried after parboiling are delicious on their own. I slipped up in not looking for tin fish at Horta. The Portuguese turn out good stuff. In the middle of lunch, at 6.30pm, the wind began to veer considerably, so I dressed up again and jibed. The jibe was needed, and it was better to do it before dark, which was just falling. The result was good, giving the heading required and a knot extra speed, though, to be fair, I think the extra knot was due to increased wind speed. The true wind now was from nearly west, speed 17 knots. I ought to have worked out the true wind sooner and jibed earlier instead of eating. Barometer, 1,016.5 millibars, a drop of 5.5 millibars in the past 23 hours. This was a steady drop, indicating a weather change on the way. The log entry for 0330 on the 4th reads, With the wind piping up and in the upper 30s at times, Gypsy Moth was beginning to run wild, chiefly due to our old pal, the topsail. So I hooked myself out of my very comfortable sleeping bag and dropped the topsail. I also dropped the mizzen staysail to give the wind a better run into the big jib forward of the mizzen staysail. This also allowed the mizzen to be squared off more with more effectiveness. However, the barometer is dropping steadily and the wind rising, so there may be too much of it presently. The barometer is 1,012, down 4.5 millibars in 7.5 hours. This was an average drop of 0.6 millibars per hour. I expected the wind to freshen, but it was nothing to worry about. An hour later... The true wind is 216 degrees, southwest by south, 25 knots. Gypsy Moth is running before it, so the relative wind is only 18 knots. 
sailing speed, seven and three quarter knots. I had to change the big vane to the smaller one. The big fellow was bending over below the horizontal, and I think this was reversing the effect because Gypsy Moth put in one or two noisy jibes. The noise came from the mizzen. I had it vanged down, so fortunately it could not come right across, otherwise there might have been breakage. Now I want to jibe, but am pondering on dropping the mizzen first. The barometer has dropped a millibar in half an hour, although the wind is not very much yet, the sea is getting up, and the riding is pretty rough. I think it would be much easier for the self-steering gear without the mizzen. A nuisance, because it is a cow to muzzle that mizzen. 0550. Dropped and furled the mizzen, quite easily in spite of my criticism of it. Gypsy Moth is under good control now, though rolling uncomfortably. Two or three seas boiled over onto the stern, but I hope they go with a front passing through. I hope the Met setup is much like last night, and that the weather will ease presently in the same way. But I don't really believe it will, because the barometer is now dropping pretty fast. 1.5 millibars in 56 minutes speaks to me of a gale or worse. Anyway, it is daylight and the sun shone for a minute or two, which was cheering, but it looks pretty grey and murky now. I had one small casualty in the night's operation. I lost my favourite little torch. It slipped out of my mouth while I was changing the wind vanes. It was most valuable for such jobs, enabling me to see the blacked-out side of the vane while using both hands to fasten it. Now I think some soup before something else cries out to be dealt with. This is the third night out of four since leaving Horta that I have been done out of most of my sleep. There's a big sea just come aboard. I suppose I must now fit a washboard or two in the companion. I don't want a sea down below. 0830. I was having a ziz after a bowl of pea soup and was woken by a squall. The wind speed instrument showed over 40 knots, which with Gypsy Moth's 10 plus knots, I had the log on the double scale, which only reads to 10 knots, meant Gypsy Moth was bouncing along with a wind of at least 50 knots. The rigging had a relentless tone, not a screech or a scream, but a tone sounding powerful and irresistible. The important point for me was that Gypsy Moth was going too fast in a rough sea, slewing, twisting and rolling. I had to act or breakages would occur. I felt awful, roused out after what seemed only minutes of sleep. I felt weary to the marrow. However, that big jib had to come down. It turned out an easy job. The jib made a shattering, ear-hurting din as I lowered it, but din wasn't going to hurt as long as the jib didn't flog itself into pieces. The foot and bunt of the sail went into the sea, and I hoped Gypsy Moth wouldn't overlay it with the keel as she bored and heeled when a wave pushed the stem. But when I returned to the stem after securing and hardening the halyard fall at the mast, the sail was docilely laying on deck against the sail net along the stem lifelines. A wave must have obligingly dumped it there for me. I didn't even get splashed until I returned to the cockpit after bagging the sail and stowing it in the forepeak when a wave washed my legs. I think and hope it was only a squall causing the harouche, but the barometer had just dropped 3.5 millibars in the past two and a half hours, 1.4 millibars per hour. I have only three more actions left for me now that I can think of at the moment. One, reef the remaining sail, the main staysail. I had a row of reefing eyes added to it for just that purpose. Number two, set the storm jib, which is about half the size of the reef staysail, but needs two blocks for sheeting inboard, or... Number three, a smaller vein. My number two vein is doing excellently at present, and I hope it will be all right. As far as the foresail is concerned, I have to have something forward, whatever is blowing, otherwise Gypsy Moth won't steer downwind, 
but broaches and lies broadside on to the waves, which is a bad position. The true wind now is 241 degrees, 48 knots. Well, breakfast seems a good idea. Thank heaven I'm not feeling seasick. I think I will skip my exercises this morning, though. I feel weary, and I did have a lot of exercise in the past nine hours, even if the wrong sort. 11.55. Barometer 1002.3, down 1.6 millibars in one hour and 26 minutes. True wind, 245 degrees, 45 knots. Gypsy Moth is sailing at 8 knots under the one sail, the main staysail. A lot of spray is flying along horizontally with sundry swishes of water into the cockpit. I fear this is getting worse, and I am debating whether to rig the storm jib. 14.45. I dropped the main staysail after rigging the storm jib, which required quite a lot of jobs doing for it, such as finding a shackle for its tack and shifting the mizzen staysail vang to make way for a snatch block to lead the storm jib sheep along the deck to the cockpit. It was blowing hard and raining hard, and there were batches of big seas which made it all rather a long job. In the end, it did not seem to have slowed down the speed at all. I noticed nine knots on the dial just now, but I suppose it might have been worse if I had left the bigger staysail, because the wind is now gusting up over 57 knots. My next worry is the wind vane. Will it hold out, or ought I to change it for yet a smaller one? I have an RT session due tonight, and I notice that the mizzen topping lift is around the top insulator on the backstay aerial again. As the mizzen is down and furled on the boom, the topping lift is holding the boom, and I shall be unable to free the backstay unless I drop the boom right onto the deck. A snorter sea has just filled the cockpit and the water is pouring into the cabin under the washboard, but there is nothing I can do about it for the moment. The drains in the cockpit are small and the cockpit big. I think the drain is blocked or partially so. I suppose I had better don my armour again and go and bail it out. What a chore and a bore. Later. Okay, it is drained off. The duckboards are jammed above the floor with general confusion of sheets, etc., but that can soon be cleared up. I'm for a wee snooze. 1742. The wind vane bust in two, and hell was let loose as Gypsy Moth headed across the wind. I put on my stormware at once and hunted for another vane. I got the old vane disentangled and off, but needed to turn downwind to fit another one. I could not get Gypsy Moth to point downwind using fixed tiller lines. In the end, I fixed it. All I worry about at present is that I was thrown across the cockpit and landed on my kidney against a wooden edge. It hurt like hell, although I rubbed it well with arnica. Having only one kidney, I am concerned. If that one is bust, I shall be poorly placed in an hour or two's time. I figured that if the kidney had been bust, the body might not be affected for several hours, though I would have had it when the blow occurred. For four hours, I waited fearfully, and then joy surged back that I had escaped. Other troubles dwindled by comparison. It continued horribly painful whenever I made the slightest movement. The cabin is getting into a rubbish heap, as waves throw the boat one side to the other, and anything loose flies through the air. Water is coming over the floor, and I must bail some out. I let the mizzen down to the stern deck to try and free the topping lift, but it was quite impossible because of the wind. One good thing, the barometer, which dropped two millibars between 11.55am and 2pm, has practically stopped dropping since then. But even if it starts rising now, I reckon it will be a long job, this storm, and the worst is usually just after the barometer starts to rise. What I do not understand is having all this dirt with such a high barometer, which I consider a thousand millibars to be. The true wind was 278 degrees, 57 knots. 
and Gypsy Moth was doing nine knots downwind. The rough DR since noon yesterday was 200 miles, less, say, 10%, which equals 180 miles in a direction of 45 degrees, which placed Gypsy Moth at 43 degrees north, 23.5 degrees west. The sea was an impressive sight. The flying spray from the whipped-off wave crests made a carpet 6 to 10 feet deep, covering the ocean as far as one could see, like a layer of ragged sea mist. 2026. The barometer has gone up, 0.5 millibars in the past two and three quarter hours. It is hellish on deck. I did several jobs, rigged a snatch block to port for the storm jib sheet, and this enabled me to bring the clue of the storm jib nearer midships, which would decrease the speed a little. I was hit just then by a tin can flying from one side of the boat to the other. Also, I slacked away the boom of the main staysail because its topping lift was chafing against one of the storm jib sheets. I rigged a light in the port shrouds, but I doubt if it will be any good on a night like this. I doubt if visibility is more than half a mile. Below, I bailed out four bucketfuls of oily water under the cabin sole. I don't think there is any more I can do, and so I shall turn in. It's a good thing to get some rest if possible, so as to have some ginger in case of emergency. I've not seen the wind indicator go over 60 knots, but there are some very hefty gusts. The next narrative log entry in the main log was not until the 9th of May, five days later, an hour before midnight. The 2026 entry in my log of the 4th of May was also the last entry in the navigation section until 0640 the next morning, the 5th, when I noted the rough position for me putting out an SOS. But that was only half a line of figures. It was not until 1500 hours on the 5th of May that I again wrote log narrative, and then it was in a notebook which I could use whilst lying in my bunk. Exactly what happened and when is hazy in my mind. For one thing, my sense of time went completely haywire. It seemed an age between some of the events which later proved to be only hours. Before midnight, I was lying on my back on my bunk, tensely braced against the starboard side next to the engine casing. Presently, I slept. I was woken when Gypsy Moth was struck by a wild wave which nearly threw me out of the bunk. I lay still for a few seconds and then decided that the leeboard would not keep me from being thrown out. I must get out and fasten a rope somehow from above to underneath the bunk. I had just got out to do this when the first big knockdown occurred. I felt the boat start to hurtle, grabbed the handhold and held on like a fanatic. Stuff from the galley shelves flew across the cabin to the chart table. I thought, Christ! What luck! Thirty seconds earlier I would have been still in the bunk and thrown across the cabin over the engine casing. I left things where they landed. It wasn't any good putting them back. I fixed a rope from the handhold above to the lug near the head of the bed. Also I unfastened the galley belt and anchored it to the handhold further aft. I got back into the bunk and lay, trying to sleep, but I was too tense. I don't know how long it was before I decided the speed was dangerously fast. The speedometer read 12 knots at times, with only the little storm jib set. Gypsy Moth was taking a terrific pounding. I thought I must be using the wrong tactics in running downwind. Every yacht behaves differently in a storm. Maybe I ought to head her into the wind to take the way off her. I got out to go and lash the helm down a lee, and as I stood beside my bunk putting on hard weather clothes, Gypsy Moth was thrown again. As I began to leave the floor, I grabbed the rope or strap and hung on with all my strength. God, I thought, this is no good. I felt desperate. What can I do? This knockdown was more violent than the first. 
I expected it to be. I went into the cockpit, disengaged the wind vane and lashed the helm hard down to a winch at the lee side of the cockpit. Gypsy Moth refused to head up to wind and would only lie beam on to the wind and seas and she was still doing four or five knots. I told myself it was better not to go forward and drop the storm jib, that I might need it to control the boat. The truth was, I shirked going forward to work the foredeck. Violent seas were breaking across. I was not sure what was best to do and, just out of my bunk, took the easiest course. I decided to leave her as she was until daylight. I went below and lay on my bunk in oilskin trousers and sea boots. Suddenly I had a premonition. The seas were now far worse. Anything could happen and it was only a matter of how long before it did. That rope and strap would never hold me in with a worse knockdown. I was lying there like a trapped animal. God, how weary I was. What could I do? I got out to put on my life harness and hook it to the steel beam above the bunk. It might keep me from being thrown more than two or three feet. I was scarcely on my feet before the third and biggest knockdown occurred. I was aware of terrific forces and had a lonely feeling as if I had been hurled into space, lost to the world, a feeling I have known in earthquakes. I was pinned against the cabin roof, looking down, as if from a dreamlike height at the frames in the bilge, stripped of all the floorboards. My back was against the roof and my thigh against the mizzen mast where it passes through. I was lying on the cabin roof and the boat was above me. I had a spasm of fear that it was going to fall on top of me. Then I was only curious to know what was going to happen. I had flashing images of the mast torn off and tearing open the deck to let the boat go down like lead. I was tumbling from the ceiling. I was seeing badly. I remember putting up my hand and noting that my spectacles had been knocked half off. I remember pushing them back on and being surprised that they had survived. I think all this occurred while I was tumbling. Then I was lying partly on the piece of floor beside my bunk. I began to lose consciousness and made an effort to flop into the bunk before I passed out. Things went distant and unreal, but I recovered. My impression was that Gypsy Moth had been hurled with terrific force off the crest of a wave into the trough ahead. The first thing I did was to look at the mizzen mast beside me. It was still there, it looked all right, but I could see that the engine casing had moved and I feared that either the engine had moved on its bed or that the mizzen mast had bent. Everything movable on the port side of the boat had been catapulted across to starboard and I could see a shambles. Below the chart table, debris was feet thick, broken plates, bottles, fruit, fruit, as if a cartload of rubbish had been tipped there. The light, however, was still on, a marvel on the black night of storm. How long would it last if the batteries had been upside down? There was a light in the main cabin. I did not remember having one there. It was the light at the head of Giles's bunk, switched on by the impact. It had happened at two minutes to midnight. The clock had stopped when hit by a bottle. Hundreds of fragments of the bottle were stuck into the woodwork as if embedded there for ornament. The clock was at the top of the cabin doghouse between two windows. If the bottle had struck and smashed the window, water would have been cascading in. I must look to see what the damage was. I could hear above the din of the storm heavier, regular thumps and bangs. Something had broken adrift on deck. I scrambled over the debris in the main cabin going forward to look at the main mast where it passed through the deck. The deck appeared intact, the mast all right up to it. I worked my way aft, 
hopefully switching on the mast spreader lights and wading through the heaped-up debris beside the companion. The hatch would not open, and I had a nasty clutch of panic that I was shut in below. My side and thigh were so painful that I was feeble. I got myself into a better position on the companionway steps where I could use both hands to tug at the hatch end. It opened a crack. I worked it open but still feared that I could not get out. The hood with its steel frame was crushed down on top of the hatch and at first it seemed as if there was not enough clearance to slide the washboards up out of their grooves and away. It was only fear. I worked the top board up and free and it was easier to get the second one out of its grooves, making a gap big enough to squeeze through. In the cockpit, I trod on a rubbish dump of duck boards entwined with ropes, and at the time, it did not strike me as amazing that they were still there. Both masts were still standing. Both spreader lights were on. What astonished me more than anything was to see both paraffin lamps hanging still light in the mizzen shrouds. The lifelines were sagging, but all else appeared more or less secure. I felt a surge of great relief. I had had enough worry with broken booms to dread a broken-off metal mast bashing the hull in a storm. I looked for a storm jib. All that remained were a lot of streamers up the forestay, flogging with loud cracks and bangs. Pieces of the mizzen staysail had been broken out from the ties holding it furled to the boom and were banging about. The sail was already torn and I shut my mind to it. Then I was amazed to see the self-steering wind vane waggling normally. It was agonising to move about because of my thigh and the pain in the small of my back. I must have blundered heading across wind. I freed the helm, engaged the self-steering and trimmed to run dead downwind. I left the storm jib alone. Its loss seemed to make no difference to the speed and once again Gypsy Moth was charging downwind at 10 knots. Once I saw the speedometer reading 12.5 knots. Gypsy Moth was now under bare poles, but I dare say the fragments of the storm jib and the flapping pieces of the staysail would increase the speed. I could think of nothing to do about it. I think the wind was not very great. I never saw the indicator above 60 knots, even with Gypsy Moth's own speed added. The wind did not, I think, exceed 70 knots except in gusts. The seas were the danger. They were terrific. During the day, I had seen them like Cape Horn stuff, but steeper and shorter, with more frequent breakers. They looked vicious. If only I could take way off the boat, Gypsy Moth's own speed through the water caused the danger. What possible ways were there of doing this? It was a waste of time to put out a sea anchor. The warp would not last ten minutes before it parted due to the snatching load. The same thing applied to streaming warps by themselves. I'd been through all that. I could not think of anything. I went below and lay down in my life harness, which I fastened round the steel knee bracing the deck beam to the mizzenmast chain plate beside my bunk. I hadn't been lying there long before I became aware that the water in the bilges was increasing fast. The floorboards had been floated free and were knocking against each other. I got up and looked for a leak. There was already about a foot of water in the main cabin. It was dark stuff like black coffee, impossible to see through. I could not find any inrush of water. The leak must be underwater. The violent impact when the yacht landed must have started the bolts holding the seven and a half ton iron keel to the wooden keelson, or else pulled the keelson away from the frame. But there wasn't a hope of finding a leak in that foot deep black water. I felt depressed and frightened. How many hours before Gypsy Moth sank? I was deeply sad. There was so much in life. It was dreadful for death to tear me away from all the people I loved. 
but it looked as if this was it. There could not be a rougher sea or a rougher night for trying to launch the rubber dinghy from the foredeck. It would be blown away at once. Even if not, how could I get into it or get water and provisions aboard? Why, I shouldn't even be able to get them on the deck of the yacht. For God's sake, where is the brandy? A half glass would be like a comforting friend. I craved that warm glow, that dulling of fear, that damn all. Who cares? But I turned it down. Only clear thinking and good judgment would give me a chance here, and I had forgotten that the galley bottle was in fragments. God helps those who help themselves. I fossicked out two plastic bags and a spinnaker bag and began filling them with any suitable food handy. I worked my way through the main cabin, treading on the edge of the city bunk, which was now being washed by the water, swishing from side to side. Thanks to Sheila's storage plan, some most suitable foods were to hand. Dried fruits and nuts, peanut butter, biscuits, some rolls of bread and a lot of oranges from Horta, which would give me some liquid if unable to get water. I put aside the five-litre jar of honey which Peter had got me. If I could just get that on board, it would be food enough for months of existence. Water would be the big problem. All the 20-litre jerry cans and 5-litre flasks of water were in the forepeak, and I doubted whether I could open the hatch in the foredeck to get any of them out from under the pile of bagged sail. There was nothing to be done about that before leaving the ship. After the big knockdown, I thought it'd be safer to lie on the floor between my bunk and the engine casing instead of in the bunk. I pulled the heavy wooden ditty box into the cabin beside the chart table where it was useful as a stepping stone to pass over the water to the main cabin city. It was three to four feet long and over a foot high. And then I thought, to hell with it. I'd rather risk the bunk in a dry sleeping bag. I looked round for somewhere to put the food bags, but there was nowhere dry now except my bunk. I regretted having moved the ditty box. I could have piled them on top of it. I piled them instead on the floor beside my bunk. They got wet inside, which I think may have been due to condensation. Am I being stupid not putting out an SOS? I hate asking for help, and it was a ridiculous thing to do. How could any ship rescue me in this stuff? In any case, I had been running before the storm for several hundred miles without a fix, and couldn't give an accurate enough position for any ship to find me. On the other hand, if I did get into the dinghy, the 400 miles to the nearest land, Portugal, would be a long drift without a sail, and I might have no water. I was being stupid. There might be a ship nearby, and it might mean the difference between life and death. I went over to the set, and to my surprise it was working. I could hear quite well through the receiver, but when I used the transmitter to put out the SOS, the meter indicated no signal passing through the aerial. The mizzen topping lift was twisted round the top insulator on the backstay aerial again. I could think of nothing else I could do. I reckon this was one of the tightest jams I'd been in. I was dead beat with sheer fatigue, fear, tension and depression. Only a sleep could give me a chance to clear my brain, to think up something to save me. I looked at the water level. I reckoned I had several hours before it reached the level of my bunk. I decided to sleep. To hell with it all. I flopped into my bunk, fell into a deep sleep, and did not stir for two or three hours. Well, that's all for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. The next instalment will be available in the Mariner's Library shortly. And remember, of course, you've got all the content over on YouTube and the Mariner podcast, and of course, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the mariner but for now wherever you are and whatever you're doing i hope that you're safe and sound and i look forward to speaking to you in the next one 
Cheers.